Corinthians 14, 26, when you got it, say so. And it says, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a song, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak, in, to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled humbled this morning at your greatness, at who you are. We come before your word with our hearts open, with our ears open, Lord God. May our minds be stayed on you. Remove distractions in this room, online, and for anyone who hears this later. Lord, may, may, may our minds be fixed on you and your word in this moment. And Holy Spirit, may you speak clearly to us, your people. We are here to hear from you, that we may honor you, that we may glorify you, that we may obey you, and that we may be in cooperation with you as you build your church and extend your kingdom in this earth. We pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that we're able to, that you are able to follow along in the introduction of the message and that you are also able to take some notes and hopefully you will uh, walk away with uh, something that you can take with you. And if you, you know, want to, uh, you can share this with a friend, somebody who you're trying to disciple or encourage in the faith. And so that is our hope that you'll utilize that, that you wouldn't just hear a message on a Sunday morning and then forget about it and live however you want to live, not thinking about God's word for the rest of the week, right? We hope that you will continue to internalize this truth. And so we are continuing in our series in 1 Corinthians church function. And in the beginning of your outline there, one thing that we know from Genesis to Revelation, and Genesis being the creation account, Revelation being the new heavens and the new earth, is that the God of the Bible is a God of order. Now, the scriptures tell us that in the beginning, uh, the heavens and the earth, they were, they were without form and they were void. And, and so it was chaotic. And then what does God do? God speaks 
order into existence. He speaks light. He speaks the creation of things, establishing his order. When you read the book of Revelation, what you see is a bunch of disorder that is happening as sin is running rampant, as the wrath of God is being poured out on the earth. You see chaos, and then what does God do? God culminates everything with a new heavens and a new earth, which we look forward to. And what is he doing? He is reestablishing order because we serve a God of order. And here's the thing that, 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 is, that is amazing in all of that is that he has a perfect eternal plan. Can someone say amen to that? God has a perfect eternal plan. I was texting this morning with one of my mentors, Felix Arroyo, and as we were texting back and forth, I, you know, we're, we're joking, and I'm, but, you know, he's being serious, I'm being serious. We're talking about the things of the Lord in a lighthearted way, though, and he, he said, I wish I could quote it exactly, but basically he said, whatever God determines to happen is going to happen, and I said, amen. But here's the thing that, 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 that is that is. Insane, a God of order who has a perfect plan, keep reading with me, he enlists the partnership of imperfect people to bring it about. I, lo I love what, and I don't know who is the, is the author of this thought, but God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. Any crooked sticks in the room? Amen, we're all crooked sticks, right? We need the, we need the grace of God. And, and, and the beauty of God is that he draws the straight line the way that he wills to. He, he does it perfectly. He uses, he enlists us, he calls us out of darkness so we can partner with him in bringing about this perfect eternal plan. And when, and this is in your outline, when the imperfect vessels like Moses, like David, like Elijah, these are all imperfect vessels, adhere to his directives, they always see the glory of God in real time. The opposite is also true. When we as imperfect vessels submit to God, we will see his glory. We will see his perfection. We will see his plans. We will see his purposes established and accomplished in the earth. The other, the opposite is also true in the lives of these men that I've mentioned here. Moses, he, he was used by God in a great way and yet didn't enter into the promised land because what? He got angry and he smacked the rock when God said, speak to the rock. His frustration got the best of him. In that moment, he wasn't submitted unto the Lord the way that he ought to be. David, the Bible says in the Old and the New Testament, he was a man after God's own heart. And yet, he did some things that were questionable. And, and to just, just as a side note, I am not saying, I, I hope you hear me saying it is not okay to do those things because there are grave consequences when you don't submit and, and align with God. The whole scenario with Bathsheba cost a child his life. And so it didn't see the glory of God because what? Because he wasn't submitted. And in, in those moments when we disalign ourselves with the directives of God, with the word of God, then, then, then we have issues. And so what I want you to think about this morning is this, cooperation with God. And by the way, that's the title of the message, cooperation with God. Cooperation with God is only guaranteed when we align ourselves to biblical order. You hear that? Cooperation with God, which is what we should desire to do, right? It's what we should want to do. It's what should we, we should be striving to do, right? We should be striving to cooperate with God, to be in alignment with God. And the only way that we can know for sure that we are in cooperation with God, it's not how we feel. 
It's, it's not what is going on emotionally, right? Because a lot of times we measure if we're in God's will by this thing called peace, right? Like, well, I have peace with that. You know how many, you know how many people have peace and are going to end up in hell? You know how many, I mean, the, the, the scriptures say that many will come unto me in that day and will say to me, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not do many works in your name? These people had peace. They were on the earth doing works of God, and then Jesus declares to them, part from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. What he is saying in that is that those people were not aligned with God's directives. They were not aligned with what God's word says. And so that brings us to our text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. As we've been walking through the text of scripture in 1 Corinthians 14, we, 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 are, we are dealing with how the gifts of the spirit should operate in the church. How should the church function in line with the gifts of the Spirit. What are the things that are yes? What are the things that are no? How should we do things in order for what? For God to be glorified and for the people of God to be built up and for those who don't know God to encounter him, right? Like all of these things are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Corinth is a place that is filled with sin, right? We, we, we look at the book of Corinth, of Corinth, the first and second Corinthians, and what we see especially in 1 Corinthians is what? We see a church that is a mess. Did you hear what I said? A church that is a mess. It's believed that the book of 1 Corinthians was written about 52 to between 52 and 55 A.D. You know what that means? That means that if we look at the, the death and resurrection of Jesus being around 33 A.D., we're looking at about 20 years after the church has been born in the upper room, and the church is a mess. I love, I love what Rick Warren said. Rick Warren said that the church is at its best at its birth. The church is at its best at its birth. The upper room, beautiful. I mean, the Holy Spirit moves, power happens. Uh, and to them, they're filled. Uh, the, the apostle Peter preaches a fiery sermon. 3,000 people are added to the church. That's chapter 2. You go to chapter 6. I don't know how much time between chapter 2 and chapter 6 is. They're already fighting. And, 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 and actually, we, we see the record of how the fight was addressed. So that means they were probably fighting pretty close to the onset. So just at the birth, the most beautiful moment is there because the church is messy. Why? Because we are imperfect people. Now, now that doesn't mean that we rest in imperfection. Come on now. That doesn't mean we're just walking around. We just walk around saying, well, that's how I was raised. We don't, we don't walk around saying, well, I'm imperfect, you know. That's what Bishop says. We're imperfect, so deal with it. No, no, that's not what Bishop is saying. If we rest in our imperfection, then we're not growing in grace. Hello. We have to be growing in the grace of God. And the church of Corinth was, was a church that was a mess. They had some really good things, but they had some really messed up stuff going on. And, and what the apostle Paul is doing is he is answering questions. He's correcting their thoughts. He's dealing with them based upon what it is that is going on in Corinth at that time. As we, as we walk through this, and I'm not going to go back and, and rehash every single thing that we talked about, but the apostle Paul dealt with some divisive situations in the church. He dealt with some questions 
that seem to come up, and the gifts happen to be one of those. And he uses three chapters in our Bibles. It wasn't three chapters. It was a lengthy portion in the, in, in the epistle that he wrote to them. Three chapters in our Bible that deal with the gifts of the Spirit and how they are to operate in the church, how they are to be utilized. And so, again, if you haven't heard all of the messages, I encourage you to go back and you can catch up to where we are. But this morning, we're dealing with the, the last portion of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The first thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must choose between the fruit of cooperation or confusion. We must choose between the fruit of cooperation or confusion. We can make a choice to cooperate with God and see the fruit that that brings, which is what I want. That's the reason why we spent this time in these scriptures, because I want us to be a church that, as, as we have on the, on the prayer, on the prayer uh, cards that we printed out for you, I hope that you're praying this. I want us to be a church that has the fullness of God. A church that walks in the fullness of God. And, and I don't believe that you can be a church that walks, that we can be a church that walks in the fullness of God if you are not a church that is filled with the power of God's Spirit. If you are not a church that is operating in the gifts of the Spirit the way that God intends, you cannot because this is the way that God builds his church. And we talked about the power tools a few weeks ago. There's a, there's a certain way to do certain projects. And, and, and there's projects if you went and you were trying to drill into concrete and you brought a screwdriver, you would be having issues. Come on now. But if you came with a drill, a hammer drill, you know, specifically, you'd be all right. You'd be like, oh, this is a walk in the park. You know why? Because you have the right tools. It's the same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. We cannot build the church based upon the wisdom of men, the talents and abilities of men. We need the supernatural power of God. However, if I take a hammer drill and I start smashing people in the head with it, I'm messing stuff up. Come on now. If I take a hammer drill and I try to drill a hole into a piece of, of ceramic something, guess what? We're going to have problems. That ceramic thing is going to have more than a hole. It is going to be destroyed. Why? Because I am misusing the power tool. And so what I think the Apostle Paul is trying to do for the church of Corinth is he's saying, hey, you got power tools, but you're misusing them. You've been given tools to build, but the way that you are using those tools is not building, it's destroying. It's not building, it's not edifying, it's confusing. It's not bringing peace and wisdom and direction. It's bringing confusion. It's bringing frustration. It's causing some people to think they're super spiritual, other people to think they're not. It's causing a mess. That's not what my church should look like. So we have a choice. We can decide that we are going to cooperate with God and see the fruit of cooperation, or we can see the fruit of confusion. Verse 26, I want you to see verse 26 in particular in the New Living Translation. I want you to see how it is translated in the New Living Translation. And, and this is what the Apostle Paul writes here, according to the NLT. Well, brothers and sisters, let's summarize. In my, in my translation, New King James and others, it, it, it kind of depends on which one you have, but New King James sounds, sounds more like a question, and, and, and I think it's supposed to be more of a summary statement. And, and the Apostle Paul, again, he's bringing this, this summary together. How is it then, brethren, in my version here? It's, well, brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, 
One will sing another, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. And so, and so I don't think that the Apostle Paul in this moment is, is necessarily rebuking them in, in, in the sense that it may be read. I think what he's trying to say is so when you come together, the gifts should be there. These things should be happening when you gather, right? So obviously their gatherings were much more informal than our gatherings are. They didn't have, you know, musicians. They didn't have a pulpit. They didn't have that. You know, it, it was a different type of setting. And so the, the way that they operated was differently. And so the Apostle Paul is saying when you come to church, this is what I believe he's trying to say here to us. As followers of Jesus, the members of the body of Christ, and members of the body of Christ, we should always desire to cooperate with God in the exercise of our gifts. We should never gather with the body empty-handed, empty-hearted, or empty-spirited. So here's a question. How many of you, don't raise your hand, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is just, I want you to think about this. How many of you pray at least once a week for the service that's going to happen on Sunday? Think about this. Because I want you to know. You are a participant in this service long before you walk through these doors. We, we should be praying on a normative basis. You should be praying. You should be praying for me on a normative basis. Come on, y'all. I'm a crooked stick. Y'all need to be praying for me. Like every day, like bishop, like Lord, my, my bishop is a crooked stick. Straighten him out. Come on now. Chip, chip away the difficult stuff. Get the things right in him that are wrong. Lord, align his mind. Align his heart. Keep him focused on you. Lord, as he's in study for your word, as he's in study and preparation for Sunday, Lord, fill him with wisdom that comes from you, not the wisdom of men. Lord, these are, this is what you should be praying for me, glory to God. Right? But not just me, because I'm not the only person who participates here. Man, you need to be praying for the sound guys back there. You need to be praying for the kids' ministry leaders and the people that are teaching and the, and, and the people that are serving. You need to be praying for the usher team. You should be praying for the vocals and, and the musicians and, and praying that God's spirit fill them. And you know who else you should be praying for? The people who are sitting down next to you. You should be, you should, listen, we have a thing called Realm. If you're not aware of this, right, you, you, should, you should get the app, you should download it. It, has, it, it is, it, it is a, a church directory on steroids, basically, right? And, and so what happens in Realm is you can go in there and you can click on groups, like, like one group is Vision Carriers. And Vision Carriers are all of those who have gone through our Core Faith 101 who call Core Faith Church their home. And you know what you should be doing every week? This is what you, I'm giving you homework, right? What you should be doing, right, we haven't even gotten to the text yet but here's the thing what you and I should be doing weekly is we should be scrolling through that directory praying for people by name and you know what you're not going to know some of those people and that's okay pray for them you know what you pray for them you just read their name and pray this prayer for them come on now praying for them and, and then there's going to be people that you know and then you'll see there's people you need to get to know why because we are part of the way that we come here full is not by waking up Sunday morning and trying to get real spiritual so when we get together hopefully God moves no that's not how this happens imagine this imagine me waking up Sunday morning opening up my Bible and saying well it opened up to first Corinthians so I'm going to go ahead and open this and read this and then I'm going to get up and preach that how would that work that would be ridiculous hello 
I can assure you, you wouldn't be here very long if that's the way we did, if that's the way your pastor did church. Well, what am I doing? Throughout the week, I'm praying. I'm, I'm reading over the text. I'm, I'm looking at commentaries. I'm asking God to give me wisdom. I'm seeking the Lord. And that way, when I come here, I have something to offer. Here's the thing, church. I think the Apostle Paul is telling the church of Corinth, everybody should come with something to offer. Everybody who calls himself a believer should come to the gathering of believers, whether that's Sunday, if you meet in a small group on Tuesday, if you come to a prayer service on Wednesday. By the way, we're regathering this Wednesday, just a shameless plug. So for those of you that were whining and boohooing about, I messed with y'all, and you were upset because we stopped praying on Wednesday nights, here we go, we're coming back. Let's see y'all come back. Come on now. We're, we're gathering together. You know I'm just messing with y'all about the wine and boohoo, right? I'm just saying, like, 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 so, like listen, you know, you were, you were expressing that that day meant something to you. Of course it should be. You, you don't listen. Anyway, sometimes you make decisions that even I want to be there because I love that moment, and yet I make the decision for a bigger reason. You got to know that. But the point is, when we gather together on Wednesdays, guess what? We're not just coming on Wednesday to get filled. We're coming on Wednesday to overflow. Hello. When we gather, that's how we should be gathering. So I think, I think that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to convey to us. And so he goes on in, in, in the reading here, verse 27, he says, he starts to give some more practical instructions. So let's look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 27. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him, say this with me, keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So what's the plain instruction there? The plain instruction is the order of God in the church is not a free-for-all, and everybody who has the gift of tongues just go at it at one time, and let's just make a bunch of noise. That isn't how he says it. He says, if, if you're going to operate in this a way that's going to bring edification, then it should be orderly. One person who has a tongue should do that, but there has to be an interpreter, right? And then he said, if there's an interpreter, there's order. So in other words, I'll speak in tongues, there's an interpretation, boom, church is edified. Someone speaks in tongues, there's, there's interpretation, church is edified. If there's no interpreter, shut up. Don't interrupt the service. Don't be disruptive if there's no interpreter. I know shut up is kind of harsh, but listen. <laughs> be silent. Be peaceful. Speak between you and the Lord. That's what I do on Sundays when I'm in worship and I sense that inspiration. I, between me and the Lord. Never once. Net, net, listen, I, I was sharing with, with my mentor, Felix. We literally talked. This is crazy. We literally talked for six hours on Friday because he stood on the phone with me the whole time I was driving from Georgia home. I was amazed. I was like, bro, I can let you go. He's like, nah, man, I've been in those trips. And we talked about theology. We talked about the sermons I'm preaching. We talked about everything under the sun. <clears throat> I stood awake. Praise the Lord. That was good. As we're having these conversations where, we're, as him and I were talking, we're talking about the church and how we are supposed to be edified, how we are supposed to be built. That's the goal. There's got to be order. There's no interpreter. You can't just speak in tongues. There's no interpreter. So listen, let me say this. 
If you're in here and, and you think that you have this gift of interpretation, please come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the leaders. I want to know about this. Because we want, we want to see tongues and interpretation happening the way the Spirit of God wants it to happen. Why? Because that's how the church is built. So he goes on, giving more practical instruction here. And so, and so he says, uh, verse, verse 20, 29, so we go from those who are speaking in tongues, and if there's no interpreter, keep silent, let him speak to himself and to God. What is he speaking to himself and to God about? He's saying, God, give us an interpretation. Lord, give us an interpretation. Lord, give me, if, I'm, if I have this inspiration, let there be an interpretation. Show me. Maybe you want to give me the interpretation, right? It seems pl- um, possible that this gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues might be given to the same person. Maybe. It could happen that way. I, I've seen plenty of contexts in which there is someone who speaks in a tongue and then there is an interpretation, it's not necessarily done the way that we see it here, but, you know, I've seen that happen. Don't go with verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, say this with me, let the first. Let's try that again. Say this with me. Let the first. There we go. Keep silent. So you've heard keep silent twice already, haven't you? There's a reason why I am. <laughs> Somebody likes shut up. That's in the, reg- in the original Greek, apparently. I don't know, maybe. No. <laughs> Keep silent. Keep silent. One prophet is speaking. A person is under the inspiration. Is this, is, is this a, a, a prophet like the, the prophet of the house or the prophets of the house? Maybe. But it can also be utilized for those who have the inspiration, feel like God is giving them a word for the church. And so let, again, one at a time. You don't get up, jump up over here, and you start speaking, and then this one over here says, shut up, I got to speak. No, nope, that's not what happens. But what happens is as the others are, are judging, as they're looking, if something is revealed to another one, then that other, the, the one who's talking should be silent. That's the way there's order. There's mutual submission. You see that happening in the context here. So how how do we operate in this? Again, this is what we see the Apostle Paul giving some clear guidelines and directions. But if anything is revealed, verse 30, to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For look at verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one, but only three in in a service as you gather according to what he says. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. This is what the prophetic word should be doing. And verse 32, super important verse. All the verses in the Bible are important, but for this context, this verse is so very important, especially for my charismatic friends. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. What does that mean? That means that I cannot be in a service and say, man, I just got to get this out. I just got to release this word. I just got to speak in this tongue because I can't control it. That's not what the Bible says. If you can't control it, I will say this. You need to check its origin. Because if it is the Spirit of God that is truly inspiring you with that word, If it is the Spirit of God who is truly inspiring you with that tongue, then guess what? You have control over that thing. Not because you are greater than God, but because God is a God of order. 
And he doesn't, he doesn't possess you to where you can't control the expression. That is not biblical. Now, that may be traditional. And again, I, you know, I come from a Pentecostal charismatic background. And so I've seen those moments where it seems like, man, the Spirit of God has a hold of that person. They can't control themselves. That's just bad theology. I'm sorry. That's not, that's not listen, that's not the upper room. The upper room was one time. Are you here? And then there was a second time that the same thing happened, and that was in the house of Cornelius. Again, that's the second time that this happens, where everybody, while Peter is preaching the word of God, they start to speak in tongues. God gives that as a sign, again, tongues as a sign that Gentiles are received into the kingdom. Tongues for everybody in the upper room happens one time. So we have two times, and we have been living theology like that's the way it should happen all the time. Here's what you have to understand. We must see the regulation of the gifts within the congregation as a maximization towards edification rather than a limitation of expression. That's what we should see. We should see the words of the Apostle Paul. We should see this as he wants the maximum edification for the church. He wants everybody to be built up. He wants everybody to operate in their gifts. He wants everybody to be used by God in an orderly manner, in a way that brings God glory. So here's the thing. In the, in the first century church, tongues with interpretation and prophecy were apparently a normative thing. That's something that was happening there. Again, the book of 1 Corinthians written between 52 and 55 AD. So that seems like it was a normal thing. So should we expect the same today? I would say yes. We should expect the Holy Spirit to move with tongues and interpretation of tongues and prophetic words in the church. We should expect those things. And how should we make this practical? Well, we just walk through, right? And we're still developing this as a, as a context for us as a church. And so, you know, stay tuned to that. But, 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 but we need to recognize the gifts. And so another question that comes up when you're looking at this and thinking about prophetic words, right? How should we, uh, you know, or should we hold present prophetic words as authoritative? and binding upon the church as we should the scriptures. Let me repeat that question. Should we hold present prophetic words? So somebody starts to speak in a prophetic word, and when they start to give a prophetic word, do we hold that prophetic word on the same level as the written word of God? Now, y'all been here long enough. You should know the answer to this. Absolutely not. God's word is above any prophetic, look, we're talking about the governing of prophetic words. Where do we get that from? God's word, right? We're talking about the governing of the way that tongues are operated in the church. It's not my experience. It's not my tradition. It's not what I was raised in. It is what? God's word that governs the use and the manifestation of the gifts, right? That, 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 that seems pretty simple. And so, again, I'm going to give you a little bit longer answer to that question. But the question is that. How should we hold that? The, the short answer is no. The other thing is, are there still prophets in prophecy? And I would say, yes, why wouldn't there be? Jesus hasn't returned. From the moment that the apostle Peter spoke after the upper room experience, you know what the apostle Peter said, right? He quoted the prophet Joel from the Old Testament, and he says this. God said, in the last days, 
I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, right? So I'm not going to go through the whole text there, but what the, the, I want you to back up. He said, in the last days. So here's what we have to grasp from that, is that from the moment the Holy Spirit came down, the time clock for last days began. So we are, we are living in the same period from 2,000 years ago to now. That's the same period of time. These are the last days. Every generation believed that they were going to be the generation that would see the coming of Christ. That is our blessed hope. We should look at the signs of the times and say, man, it looks like he's around the corner. Because he has been around the corner. Remember, his corner is different than ours. Hello. He comes around corners differently than we do. He's not bound by time and space, and so he is there. He is ready to return. We have to be ready for that. We have to be committed to what we are called to do, which is to make disciples. Again, so how do we deal with this? So, yes, we should believe. I think there are prophets, and, 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 and there are definitely prophetic words that are happening within our days. Here's the thing. and Here's the answer to the question, the first one, the longer answer. No prophetic words should be viewed as scripture. Say amen. amen. No prophetic word should be viewed as scripture. A prophet or a prophetic word must not introduce new doctrine. Hello? So if someone comes and gives a prophetic word, I think all the men in the church need to wear suits and ties and jackets. I think all the men in the church need to shave their beards. No facial hair. The devil is a liar. But why? But, but why? Here's the question. Why is it that I say the devil is a liar? Why is it that Brother Lewis said blasphemy about the, about the ties and the jackets? Why is that? Because it's, it's not culture. That's not why. It's not because it makes us comfortable to not have to come to church in a suit and a tie. It's not because it looks good that we have a beard or not. It's not that. It's because that's not what the scriptures tell us. And so doctrine, teaching that we hold to, we, listen, if somebody comes to you twisting scripture, that's not doctrine either. Hello. So again, they should not introduce new doctrine, new teaching. Or add to the Bible, because that's basically what they would be doing. But they must be subject to the authority of the scriptures, measured by the word and character of God, and submitted to the leadership of the church. So let me just unpack that really quickly. They have to be sub Anybody who gives a prophetic word. I love what one of my friends, Mike Winger, said. He was talking about prophetic things. He was, he was saying this in the church. He said, if a church has a prophet in that church whose prophetic words are not being judged by the elders of the church, that church is out of order. Why? Because God gave elders to the church to do what? To preserve the purity of the doctrine of the church. To make, that, that, that's, the fun, that's one of the functions of pastors in the church is to refute false teaching, to expose those things, and to be there to judge when those prophetic words are coming, is that from the Lord? Is that something that God is really saying to us? Or did you just have pizza before you went to bed last night? 
And you woke up feeling some kind of way. I don't know. You had some kind of dream and you thought that was the Lord. No. Listen, there are dreams. I mean, I, I, I was sharing with Brother Lewis the other day about one of his dreams and how accurate it was. Listen, God gives dreams. That's another part of Joel's prophecy, right? That, that, that and you know, I'm not going to say, well, anyway, old men will dream dreams, right? Young men will see visions. I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> I started having dreams recently too, right? But, but, but nonetheless, right? <laughs> But, but, but there, there is, but then there are also sometimes that, man, you have dreams and they came from somewhere else. They didn't come from the Lord. Like legitimately, like there's science behind some of this. Anyway, I don't have time to get into all that because we're trying to deal with the prophetic stuff here. But, but, but nonetheless, right, they, they, they have to be subject to the scriptures, right? They have to be measured by the word of God. Any prophetic word that leads you astray from God's word is a pathetic word, not a prophetic word. Any word that leads you away from worship of the one true God that is not a word from the Lord. Any word that leads you away from living holy unto the Lord is not a true word from God. Any word that leads you to living a, a life of sin and unrighteousness is not a word from God. Any word that pacifies you in your sin, no matter how much it made you cry and feel good and feel loved, any word that does not exalt the holiness and righteousness of God is not a word from the Lord. Jeremiah speaking about the false prophets, he says that these prophets come and they prophesy to the idols of your hearts. Oh my goodness. So how many people in churches are getting false prophetic words? Someone is reading their mail and they're like, oh well, but it's the idols in their heart that God is speaking to in judgment, not in blessing. So again, we have to measure, how do we measure these words? We measure them by the word of God that we have. We measure them by the character of God. And they must be submitted to the leadership of the church. Do you hear that? Any prophetic word, any prophet has to be willing to submit to the authority of the leadership of the church. If they're not, there's an issue. We'll get into that in a moment. Here's what I'll say in closing up this point. The Spirit grants gifts to believers for the purpose of building up the church. To exercise a spiritual gift in a way that does not build up the church, or that does not build up other believers, it is, it is to abuse the gift and to corrupt the worship of God. That's Warren Wearsby. It, 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 we, when we use the gifts the wrong way, we are corrupting what we're doing as worshipers. We're, we're dishonoring the word of God. The second thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our co cooperation with God is found in connection with his commands. Our cooperation with God is found in connection with his commands. Look at verse 34 to verse 38. Let your women keep silent in the churches. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, for they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Hmm. 
Sister Mary, she sent me, she sent me a question a, a couple of weeks ago. She said, she sent me this text. I, I, I don't know if she realized that I was preaching through it, but she said, would Paul have said this today? And I said, yes, he would. Because he said it then, and it has to have application today. Now, now we got to make sure that we have the right application. Now, before I say anything, I want, I want, to, I want to make this confession, right? I am, I am a reluctant complementarian, right? So what do I, what I mean by that? So there's, there's three different camps when it comes to how we should operate in the church. There's one that is egalitarian, which is what our culture is governed by, what our culture pushes, right? Everybody's equal on, on, on all planes and everything that we do, right? Anybody can do whatever. And the same thing in the church. And then uh, that when we started core, core Faith, that's what we were. We were egalitarian church. And then there is a complementarian role which says that there, there is equality among men and women, but there are differences in function. There are differences in roles. And, and as, as we studied the scripture and as we went through the text and, and we looked at our Bibles, we, we felt like, man, the, we, we, we can't be egalitarian. We have to come to this place of being complementarian. And then there's another position, which is a hierarchical position, right, which, which I think is just heresy, right? And, and, and I think the complementarian position, it marries these two positions in, in, in the way that it should be balanced. I say I'm a reluctant complementarian because I wish that I could erase these type of verses from the Bible. I wish that I could because there, there's such gifted women that I know. I, I, was, I was sharing, and, and I'll share a story, and, and this is not to affirm anybody in present day. This is just to give you an example. I love, if you guys don't know, I love the National Day of Prayer. That's one of my favorite days of the year. It's the, I think it's the first Thursday in May, so put it, please put it on your calendar. We gather together, and the reason why I love that day is because you live stream, they, they, they live stream from Washington a prayer time for our nation. And the reason why I love it is not just because I'm live streaming a prayer time, but because I know that at that moment, the global church, at least the church in the United States, many parts of it are gathered together in a solemn moment of prayer and worship and intercession. And man, there's something special about that moment. And so, you know, as the day goes, you know, as the time goes, it's usually about two hours or something like that. And as, they, as the time, you know, they have moments that they have song, moments that they have prayer, and then they have a moment where they have somebody preach. And so one year, they had a, 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 a certain um, preacher get up there and preach, and it was a woman. I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to make anybody feel good or bad about anything. It's just a, just the gender. And this woman was preaching God's word, and she had a prophetic word for the nation. And if not the nation, for me, because I was bawling because the Spirit of God was talking to me. All right? So we'll leave it there. She had a word that, I mean, powerful, powerful, powerful. Next year comes. Same, you know, service time. This year they had a man preach. And when the man preached, I'm being honest with you, I was like yawning and falling asleep, and I felt no conviction. And I'm like, can we bring the preacher back from last year? Because she had, I believe, a prophetic teaching, a prophetic word for the nation, for the church, her voice needed to be heard. And so I say that. To let you know that this is not easy for me, right? Like, I, I labor over this, and, and I have a, a, a friend by the name of Mike Winger. I mentioned him once already. He has a three-hour study on the position of, of women in ministry. And he goes through all of the different, I think he's breaking down this particular scripture. Three hours. I don't have three hours. Well, I do if y'all want to hang out for three hours, and we could just run through it all. No, I'm just kidding. 
So I, I will encourage you, I'll, put, I'll, I'll post it in Realm. If you're not on Realm, you're going to miss that. But I'll post it in Realm. You can check it out. You can look at the different things. And listen, you may disagree with, with, with how I'm about to uh, try to deal with this particular text, right? But, but here, here's something that I'll just say really quickly. There's a couple of ways we could deal with the text. One, one way is we could simply ignore it, right? We could simply just say, hey, this was cultural, there is a cultural context in which the Apostle Paul is speaking, and because we live in a different cultural context, this doesn't apply, right? That's one way that we can do this. That is how some people approach this text. They're just like, well, there's a cultural context. It mattered in that moment. Paul was addressing that. This is not for today. We could address it that way. I'm not going to do that because I think what we're supposed to do as faithful Bereans of the Scriptures is we're supposed to marry Right? The, 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 the times that the scriptures were written in to the days in which we live. So how do these things apply? How do these things apply to us? The other side of this is that we can just take a hierarchical position and we can just say, women, be silent. You can teach other women and you can teach children and that's all you can do in the church. Do we do that here at Core Faith? Obviously we don't. So I don't believe in that. But what I do think is that we have to look at the text. So let's look at the text here. So... There was a reason why I made you say something with me a couple of times. In verse 28, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. You keep going down, and, and if, one, if one prophet is prophesying, verse 30, and another one gets a revelation, let the first keep silent. What I want to point out here is that this is not the first keep silent that pops up in this chapter. Are you tracking with me here? So it's not like, the, you know, it, but, but nobody got, got upset. Nobody was like, oh, well, why should the tongue speaker? Well, you might have got upset about that. But nonetheless, you know, the, the point is, right, the, the, that, that keep silent was good, right? The keep silent for the prophet, that was good. You may not understand it and agree with it, but that's not really offensive. But then we come to the women should be silent. It's like, hold on a second. Back up, Jack. Well, what are we, what, what are we, what, what you really trying to say? I'm not trying to say anything. I'm trying to read the Bible. That's all I was doing. That's why I was going to close in prayer. It would have been much easier. But here it is. As, 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 I've, as I've tried to emphasize in this, the, the word of God gives us our marching orders. It is our blueprint for God's eternal building plan. And so when we look at this, this is part of how he is building the church. And you remember, as I, as I was studying for this, I want to add this in there because I think that this is important. In the cultural context, you know, we talked about earlier how there were the, the temples to idols, right? Remember we talked about that? Remember we talked about the priestesses that were prostitutes and things like that? Well, what we didn't talk about is that there were virgins who were there as well, and there were men who were servants of those virgins who were castrated. And so they, those, those virgin women, were actually in authority over these men. They were subservient. And I, when, when I read that and I, I, was, I was reading, uh, reading this about the, the culture at that time, I was like, man, that's, what is, that, that's what's going on in our culture today. Not so much the virgin thing, but our culture wants to castrate men. Come on now. It, wa it wants men to be silent. That's the reason why I'm such a proponent for, for men being strong men, being godly men, being leaders of their families, being leaders in the church, being leaders in the culture. That's why I celebrate men. That's why I don't like to dog men, because I love the men of God, because you have been called as a man to be a leader. Don't allow the culture to castrate you. Don't allow anyone to tell you that you don't have a voice or that you don't matter or you shouldn't inject your opinion in a conversation. Be wise where you talk. Be wise where you speak up. But be a man. Be a man. God gives you the authority and the right, and I second the charge. My, 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 my words don't matter. Hello. 
But I, but I second the charge that men should be men. And so in that culture, there was this, there, there was this, this usurping of authority that was taking place. And so remember, that worship is considered spirituality in the culture. And so one of the reasons why these commands like this one and in 1 Timothy chapter, um, chapter 2, I believe verses 11 and 12, say things that are a little bit rough for us to interpret because Paul is addressing something that is in the culture and the time in which he is speaking. Nonetheless, he still gives us these instructions. So as I'm looking through these different things and I'm trying to figure out what is the, the best way to land on this, of, of all of the different interpretations that are there, I think the most faithful to the scriptures, and again, you may disagree with this, is that this verse is not seeking to silence women in the congregational context. Specifically, he's talking to wives because he says, if you have a question, ask your husband at home, right? We see that. Paul already established, this is the reason why I don't believe he's trying to silence women in the congregational context. We're not going to go back to chapter 11, but if you go back to chapter 11, the apostle Paul spent lengthy time in this, in this book that he's writing saying that it was okay for women to pray in the congregational context and prophesy in the congregational context. Are you tracking? So, he's, uh, so, so now he would be contradicting himself if he's trying to say women shut up. That's not what he's saying. He's giving us some direction here. So he already said that, that but, but, but how, how were they supposed to pray? Do you remember? Remember head coverings? And we talked about that. And, and the head covering was what? It was a sign of submission. A sign of submission to her spouse. A sign of submission to the, to, to, to the, to the leadership in the congregation, which in that context would have been elders that were appointed, right? And so those would have been men that would have been appointed at that time. And so, again, she can pray. She can prophesy as long as she is submitted to authority. But it was, this, this is what he's trying to say. He's saying to say, but, but, but it was an honor um, to, for, to, to, it was to honor, I'm sorry, to honor the biblical order of male, male eldership in the congregation. This is what I think the Apostle Paul is getting at. Remember the context. Again, we got to stay in the context, right? He didn't just, he didn't, it's weird that this just pops up there, right? Like he's talking about speaking in tongues, and then he's talking about prophesying, and he's talking about the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, and then he goes on, and, and then all of a sudden, he comes out and said, let the women be silent in the church. Well, if we read it in its context, then I see, well, he's, he's talking about something that is going on in this, context, in this context, which is the way that we would judge prophecy. Now, remember, some women would be prophesying, would they not? Because just chapter 11 said that women could prophesy and pray. So that means that that would be happening in this context here. The elders, but here, here's the thing. The, the eldership of the congregation had to be honored, and in its immediate context, what I think he's talking about, again, this is, this is me looking at all the different uh, uh, attempts to interpret the text. I think he's talking specifically about the judging of prophecy. Now, 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 now why would this matter? And he, and he brings up the husband and wife situation, right? Now, just, just track with me for a moment. So, so here's what I'm saying. So while the woman can prophesy, the women can prophesy, they are not allowed to judge prophecy. Why is this? Because that would be in the role or in the arena of exercising authority in the church. And remember, we're judging God speaking to the church, right? So the elder's role is for what? 
to keep the purity of the doctrine of the church. This is what God is saying. This is what he's communicating, right? So, so, so anyway, so this is what I think. But here, here, here's just a practical way for you to look at this. One thing that would have happened, let's just say, you know, I'll use, I'll use Mary and Greg for a moment. So Greg stands up. <laughs> you don't have to stand up. <laughs> Greg stands up. He has a prophetic word. He starts speaking. Myself, Pastor Aldo, Pastor Rod, right? Or, uh, I'm, I'm using an example of the male eldership in the church. So we are here. Greg is speaking. And we are judging what he's saying. And we might ask him a question. We might say to Greg, well, Greg, what do you mean by that? What, what, you know, what, what are you trying to say? You know, whatever, right? That, those things could happen. So now Mary, who is supposed to be submitted to her husband, she's upset with Greg that day. She's like, this guy's in the flesh right now. And she's like, Greg, why don't you tell them what happened on the way to church today? Are you really in the spirit? Right? So questioning him, right? I'm, I'm giving you like an exaggerated example, right? But, but do you see where the conflict of interest would come in? Where it would be like the, the, like the wife is questioning her husband in public? Like, listen, we shouldn't be arguing with each other in public if we're married. Hello. We should save that stuff, you know, for the bed. Save for somewhere else. Hello. Save, save that stuff for private places. And so I think, does that, does that make sense? I, I think that's, the, that's one of the practical implications. So anyway, I'm going to get off that. But, but that's what I think. I, I think that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate. Again, you may disagree with me, and that's okay. Uh, at the end of the day, this is, what we, this is what I think the Apostle is trying to communicate there. And so he goes on. He doesn't, he doesn't just stop there. He goes on to verse 36. He says, or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. See, here, here's what I want you to understand here, is that any true authority in the church comes from the word of God rightly divided. And this is only the result of a person who rightly reveres the word of God. You see, we could take this and just say, this doesn't apply to us. This doesn't matter to us. We, we don't, we don't, we, we don't, that, that scripture there, it, it, had, it had a cultural context. You know, Bishop, you already said that women were usurping authority. Is that happening today in our culture? Come on now, let's be honest. See, I'm, I'm going to say something. <laughs> so one of the, one, one, one of the, one, one of the videos, you know, because I, I want to hear what some people had to say. So one of the videos that I watched, Sister Mary sent it to me. And it was John and Lisa Bevere, and they were having a conversation, should a woman teach? And as I, and as I watched the conversation, I listened. I was, I, was, I was listening to see where they were going to land because I, I'm, I'm thinking that they're more egalitarian. But really, what, what I understood in listening to them is they're really complimentarian. They're like me. They're reluctant complementarians. They, they really want to just go full on. But even if, if you listen to the whole conversation, Lisa's like, well, yeah, when I come to a church and I preach... She's like, I, I'm submitting to the spiritual authority of the church. Of course, she's coming under submission and agreement. <clears throat> she said something that I thought was powerful. And ladies, I want you to hear this because I think this is important. She said this. She said, we need the, the, the fatherly voices in the church. But we also need the motherly voices in the church. And so ladies, don't, don't, don't discredit yourself because I, I, I don't want you to hear that. I want you to know that I mean, I believe we need strong, godly men. 
And what I know as a godly man who has a strong wife, who is a powerful woman, we should not be intimidated by powerful women. Hello. We shouldn't feel like, oh, I got to use this verse to silence these powerful women. No, that's not what it is. But here's, but here's what I, here, here's, here's I want to say. In the beginning of their conversation, Lisa made a statement that I disagreed with totally. She was like, you know, they would say right now that men are being attacked in the culture. And she said, but I would say women are being attacked in the culture. And then she brought in the whole transgender thing that is happening. And as she was speaking, I was like, man, it is so important for us not to erase gender differences in the church. Because if we erase gender differences in the church, we are inviting that Jezebel spirit that is in operation in our culture to take reign and root in the church. And that's the reason why we cannot just accept, throw this away, this doesn't apply to us because we have to contend for the faith. And if I say men and women roles don't matter, there's no difference, no distinction, I'm saying, hey world, what you're saying is all good. I have no authority to speak against the demonic wiles that are happening in our day. See, the, Jesus, Jesus told the Pharisees that they were taking the traditions of man and making them equal with the word of God. And they were doing what? They were making the word of God null and void. I want a church that is filled with the power of God. And God's word, rightly divided, brings change to lives. But when we ignore it and we act like it doesn't matter, we have no authority and no power to bring change to anybody's life. The Apostle Paul, he understood his authority. He wrote these words. I want you to hear his words. Verse 37, he said, let, he said, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him, and I will say that this would go him or her, acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commands of the Lord. These are not suggestions. These are not things that we pick and choose on. This wasn't something that the church of Corinth could say, well, we don't like this. No, it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. This is the command of the Lord. This is the word of God. And see, let me say this. One of the greatest red flags regarding someone's spiritual maturity is how they respond to spiritual authority. Hello? It is how they respond to spiritual authority. We must realize that we get authority as we submit to authority or we lose our standing among the congregation. What do you say in verse 38? He said, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant, right? That's what it says in my translation. But it, but it should say, if anyone is ignoring this, let them be ignored. In other words, if anyone is, is in, in disagreement with what I'm saying, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, don't give them the opportunity to speak. Don't give them the opportunity to prophesy. Don't give them the opportunity to edify the church because they are operating in a different spirit, not a spirit of submission. And when we can't submit to God's word, that is problematic. And let me just say something because I, I, I want to say this, man. We have people in this church that I know that they want to run around this building speaking in tongues. Come on now. I know this. I know because I know you. I, but you know what? I honor you today in this moment because you don't do that. Because you respect the spiritual authority. Because you respect the scriptures. And you're not letting yourself just go free in that sense because you realize that God said, hey, this is the way this is supposed to operate. So can, can, can we thank God for that? Can we thank the Lord for that? That we honor God's word. Third thing here, and I'm getting ready to wrap up. Cooperation with God. Say this with me. Cooperation with God ensures... Our gatherings accomplish his plans. 
Cooperation with God ensures our gatherings accomplish his plans. Verse 39 to verse 40. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid the speaking with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. So if I just took this verse right here, verse 39, be like, hey, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Everybody just go ahead and do your thing. But that's, that's in the context of what the Apostle Paul has just written to us. There should be no question as to what God desires and how he plans to accomplish his desire. What does he desire? He desires the edification of the body. He desires addition to the body. We saw that if a non-believer comes in and all of us prophesy, they are convicted by all. They are convinced by all. The secrets of their heart are revealed. They fall prostrate, prostrate before God and say, God is here. That's God's will. When a non-believer walks in, when a non-believer is watching us online, when a non-believer encounters the church, that is what should happen. I was sharing with my brother Felix on the phone. I, said, I shared with him, I said, you know, in a prayer meeting, I might be a little bit more free. Because in general, we don't see people who are non-believers coming to a prayer meeting. And then I was immediately stopped in my tracks because years ago, there was a man and his wife who came to our church. He was a Muslim. She was a backslidden Christian. And when they came to the church for counseling, obviously I'm counseling them according to scripture. For some reason, the guy decided that he was going to go to church with her. Mind you, he's a Muslim, but he said, hey, you know, my belief is that I should go to church with my Christian wife. Goes to church with his Christian wife. I'm preaching on, I think, Matthew chapter 24, talking about false prophets of all things on the Sunday that he shows up. Praise God. Anyway, he decides he's going to come. He comes back and, and doesn't just come back, but he keeps coming. He comes to a prayer service and right before we start praying, he says, I want to give my life to Christ today. So even in a prayer service, a non-believer can be present and if we do things the way that God is calling us to, the secrets of their heart can be revealed. They'll fall before God and they'll humble themselves and be saved. And so God wants edification. He wants addition to the body. He wants the mobilization of the body. God desires to build his church. His desire is greater to build his church than ours is. He doesn't. We don't want to build his church more than he does. And his desire to use each of us in, in the process of this is clear because what? He has distributed his gifts to each of us. And so here's the thing. We should be passionate. We should desire earnestly to prophesy. We should not forbid to speak in tongues. In other words, we're not going to pull a gift out and say, well, that gift is no longer for today. We're not going to do that. We believe that that's heresy. We believe that that is false teaching. We do not believe that that is true. That is not what core faith believes. That is not what any of the leadership here believe. We believe that those gifts are for today, for the edification of the church, but we believe they need to be operated in the way that we have it here. So we should be passionate. We should be careful, and we should be deliberate in our participation in God's eternal building plan. Now here's the thing. Our worship services should be a demonstration of cooperation with God. What we should see in our services is that we are cooperating with him, that we are moving with him, in which what happens? His gifts are manifested. His love is governing. His body is built up in faith. His people are built in unity. His church is sent out on mission, and his creation is impacted. I'll read that one more time. Our worship services should be a demonstration of cooperation with God, in which his gifts are manifested. His love is governing. His body is built up in faith. His people are built in unity. His church is sent out on mission and his creation is impacted. That is what our gatherings should do. And so here's my closing question for you. Would, would you say your life is marked by cooperation with God?
Would you say your life is marked by cooperation with God? Not just Sunday morning. It's easy to cooperate with God on Sunday morning. You have, you have the easy part. All you got to do is sing along and say amen when I say amen, right? That's it. You can just act, you know, you can just, you can just, you can just act intelligent. You ain't even got to really be, you'd be like, this is all going over my head, but yeah, you just, you know. <laughs> but would you say your life, would you look at your marriage and say, my marriage is in cooperation with God. That me as a husband, that I am cooperating with God the way that I'm leading my home. As a wife, that I am cooperating with God in the way that I'm engaging with my spouse. As parents, are you, would you say that you are cooperating with God in the development of your children? As a child in a home, would you say the way that you honor your parents is a, is a cooperation with God? Or are you rebelling against God? Because here's the thing that I want you to understand. Our natural propensity, because of the sin nature that we have, is not to cooperate with God. It's to negotiate with God. If you do this, I'll do this. If I see this, I'll see that. You know, I'll do this. Or it is to simply rebel against God and reject what it is that God wants wills. That is the reason why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important because he comes into the atmosphere of our world in order to yank us out of our rebellion, to yank us out of our negotiation, and to bring us into cooperation with God. See, if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's tough to cooperate with him. So here's my thing. If you're in here and you don't know him today, you need to know that Jesus came to rescue you. He demonstrates his love that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. If you're not in a relationship with him, humble your heart before him. Receive his love. Receive his mercy. Cry out to him that he would save you. But if you're in here and you're a believer and you're like, man, I'm not cooperating with God in this area, that area, this other area, I call you to repentance as well. Don't act like, oh, well, it's just for that person who doesn't know Jesus. Oh, no, no. These are for those who say they know Jesus. Are we in cooperation with God? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right where you are. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward.